So I was, I mean, I suppose I still am. I was this big fan of Rachel Maddow before she had a TV show. She had a she had a radio show for years before she had a TV show. And her radio show was very different than her TV show. For instance, her radio show lasted three hours a day uh, instead of the one. A lot of TV or radio shows about the news do. And then you sort of just kind of do at the top of the hour, you do like five, ten minutes of news that's new for that hour or recap for that day. And then you go on and you do other stories over your three-hour period. And most people come in for the top of the hour, they hear the news, and then they bounce. So you, you know, today this happened and then this happened and all that. And that's how most people who do radio news do it. Rachel Maddow, no exception. Rachel Maddow, however, began the top of her hour the same way all three hours, every day, five days a week, for years, pretty much the exact same way, where she would say, and thank you for joining us once again, and life under wartime. And it didn't really matter if her updates or the news had anything to do with war. Uh, she was giving updates or, or, or about whatever, the economy or what happened that day. But she would always say to life under wartime, talking about Afghanistan and Iraq at the time. And she made a point of saying that she was talking about life under wartime and, and, and this and that so that we wouldn't forget and because it was a sacred honor to read the news, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bring this all up because Rachel Maddow was just like so adamant about it. She began it, you know, three times a day, every day, 15 times a week. So if you listen to that program, you hear it over and over and over again. And, and she was very sincere and austere about it. And all about it. But then they offered her a TV show, and she's like, of course I'll just not fucking say it to get a TV show. Sure, it bums people out. I get it, so I won't say it. And so I haven't heard her say that in a decade. And for a long time there, I kind of judged her about that. I, I, I'm pretty, pretty stuck in my ways. And I can be high-minded. I, I, I want to see the best out of people. I do, myself and others. And when somebody doesn't live up to that high-mindedness, it can be very difficult for me. I'm still a huge fan of Rachel Maddow. I've been listening, but the contrast between when she had a lot more control and when she didn't, sometimes, if, I, if you've watched the radio show for years, comes out on the TV show. And today... I'm beginning this whole thing with, uh, with, with, with that talk when I'm trying to entertain you all because that's exactly how it feels trying to start a show right now. Like, that's exactly how it feels right now trying to be an entertainer. Um, and a lot of times I'll start off saying, like, you guys know I'm lucky or I know I'm lucky, right? And then I'll complain because I want to show gratitude, but then also, like, be able to air my complaints. I, I swear, that's not this. I'm not about to launch into a complaint. I'm a very lucky man. Because right now, people need entertainment. They need entertainment and information. It's bread. It's required. 
people need entertainment. I believe that. I really do. If you took entertainment away from people who are quarantined, you lose quarantine people, you lose sanity. I absolutely believe it is a, it is a necessary requirement right now. People need to be entertained. And people are also giant fucking jerks about being entertained right now. It's horrible trying to be an entertainer. Not for me, but for other people. And I just kind of want to talk about that because what a crazy situation is. And how I need to get over my high-mindedness and all that bullshit. So, here's life under wartime. Life under wartime is a lot of other people are suffering. And we have to make this, this collective effort... Right? There's a war effort that we have to make in order to get over it. But nobody can individually win a war. It's a war effort. So it's life under war. I don't know why we didn't think of this metaphor earlier. Americans love it and all that kind of shit. So that's like how I want to start every show or how I start every day. Really. Because I'm no different than you except in all the ways that I'm fantastic and you're not. Hopefully that was funny. It's kind of a Steve Martin type riff now that's come off the top of my head. Really, I'm no different than any of you. I wake up in the morning going, what is going to happen today? What is all this about? What is my point and my purpose? What, how can I contribute? How can I help? Am I helping? Should I do anything? These same questions are on my mind as I know they're on so many people's every day. And I really, of all the metaphors I heard and all the, all the things exchanged, I can't believe I didn't come back to wartime. That's exactly what it is. And unfortunately, my war effort is entertaining people. Now, fortunately, my war effort goes real easy compared to most people's. I don't have to do a lot of work with others. I don't have to, don't have to worry about timelines. I don't have a lot of face-to-face -face interactions. I don't have to go on tour. My income's not upended. Like, I'm in a really fortunate spot. But I'm also friends with all these other fucking entertainers. And so day after day, my life is people like, <sighs> so I am. Uh... Spent all day writing this joke. It's about three minutes long, and I spent all day writing this joke, and I told it, you know, because I tell jokes for a living. So I told my joke, you know, on my platforms, and the people liked it, and that was my day, but they don't laugh anymore. They're just all like... Thanks for the joke. Uh, yeah, it's a real funny guy. We appreciate the joke. See you tomorrow. And all of the entertainer friends and everybody I know is just 100% like getting this feedback where people are just gnashing their teeth and like restless and like ah, yeah, yeah. you know there's just like this overexcited energy on both ends and every entertainer is like that right now a great example parks and rec just like parks and rec i was never big on that show parks and recreation never big but People were. People were huge on it. They just did a reunion episode with all of these, like, big stars. These are, like, big stars. It's a reunion show. Everyone's stuck. It's for charity. It doesn't earn shit. It earns, like, less than $3 million fucking dollars. It doesn't earn shit. And, like, every internet comment online is just like, wow, 
they don't look very good. <laughs> like, every comment online is just all like, huh, wow. Boy, they're, they're older and less funny than I remember. They're less attractive, less funny, and less interesting than I ever thought that they were. I'm so glad that they made this episode, but wow, isn't it depressing how old they fucking are. <laughs> like, every comment I read was just that. Can you imagine if you're fucking Chris Pratt, your fucking $20 million of bullshit picture Chris Pratt, you decide to fucking, like, get yourself in the Zoom meeting that they call a TV episode just to make people happy and everyone's just all like, Jesus Christ, Chris Tits. <sighs> Maybe you should just eat the cows, Josiah. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. I was actually really into Chris Pratt. And then he's like one of the three people I followed on Twitter. And then I had to stop following Chris Pratt on Twitter. Because he's just always either talking about Jesus or eating a cow. <laughs> just always. And dude... I moved away from the redneck areas of this world, okay? Like, I got out of that fucking function. If I wanted to see nothing but Jesus and barbecue on my fucking Twitter, I could have just stayed in the mountains. <sighs> I'm just saying, right now, see? Look at, the, look at all the trouble I just gave Chris Pratt for trying to entertain me. That's what's happening. I'm the part of the problem. This is like me honking at traffic. This is like me in my car honking at traffic. I know. I'm part of this problem, but it's true. Being an entertainer right now is rough. It's like negotiating with a five-year-old you just punished, I imagine. I've never actually done it before, like I would negotiate with a terrorist. But really, I imagine it's got to be a lot like that. Because right now, everyone's just so sullen and fucking angry and irritated that anything that you're trying to, like, give them a one of the... Meh. Meh. They want it. You were mean. I wasn't mean to you. I did what had... No, you were mean. And that's all anybody's fucking feeling about anything. A show will come out. It'll be okay. People will devour every fucking inch of it. Just every second, just every little portion of it that they can, and then they'll be like, I guess it was all right. People are getting desperate for entertainment. There's a fucking documentary about basketball that women are watching and pretending to think is interesting. I've never seen that before. Now, that might got me in trouble with some of you because some of you might be sports fans. But also, I'm going to guess that most women who listen to me are not sports fans in any way. Like, for real and for true, like, you all don't know. I'm just guessing. Like, there's lots of women who are sports fans, but I'm guessing the Venn diagram of women who are sports fans and women who are fans of me is not super overlapping and that they're willing to take that joke. There's a documentary about Michael Jordan playing a game of basketball. And like Michael Jordan is telling you about how great he is at playing basketball, he just keeps skipping the fuck around. He just keeps fucking going in every direction. Like you're actually talking to Michael Jordan drunk at a bar and he's telling you how amazing a story that happened 20-some years ago. <laughs> he's actually just like, 
So yeah, man, I had this fight with this guy, and then I was driven. I was so good. Anyways, nobody could touch me except this one. Uh, anyway, three months ago, I was all like, fuck you, and everybody clapped for me. <laughs> no, nobody's seen The Last Dance, huh? God damn it, I tell you, I'm doing a fucking great spacing out version of the narrative of The Last Dance. All right. Guess everyone's a Michael Jordan fan in here. No bull. Life under war. I spent all day writing this routine, too. So now everyone's going to come back. Ah, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> well, somebody made a comment, and I'm just going to make this comment. Uh, because somebody said, I only know Michael Jordan from Space Jam. It's been alleged since this documentary is produced by Michael Jordan. Like, he, he has the company that made it, which means he made it. If you own the production company that made the documentary, that means you make the documentary. That's how it works. Like, you have say on, on what that documentary says and looks like and sounds like, so you effectively made it. So there is belief that Michael Jordan did make this, this documentary because there's going to be another Space Jam with not Michael Jordan. That actually has been floated. I actually did read that before this documentary came out, that Michael Jordan is actually making this because he doesn't want his legacy to be forgotten, even though it already has. Uh, and I read that, that I read that last year, right? I read that last year. Um... <laughs> this is horrible. I wasn't planning on saying anything like this, not just tonight, but ever, but this is true. So I read that last year, and then I read about Kobe dying, <laughs> and I just thought, the one person, the one person today who's looking at this, who's all like, you know, I'm kind of okay with it, it's Michael fucking Jordan. I know that's awful, but that's the one laugh I got out of that. Because uh, I'm just going to be real real with you guys. I never gave a shit about Kobe. Never gave a shit. I never did. If he if, if his death affected you, so be it. But I imagine that's like the equivalent of me being like, Guys, Tom Petty died, and this guy from the cars died, and I'm really sad about it. Like, I care that they died, but you don't have to give a shit. Like, like, yeah, I was actually really sad that they died, that Rick and Tom died. You don't have to care. Uh, and I think that the same should apply for me. I don't have to give a shit that Kobe dies, do I? So everyone's all, like, super depressed and shocked uh, that he dies that day. And all I can think about is, like, Michael Jordan, like, one down. They will remember me. <laughs> in all fairness, I can only make these jokes about Michael Jordan because absolutely nobody has any respect for him whatsoever. It's hard. You can't really make jokes about a lot of people unless they've pissed off literally everybody they've ever worked with, and Michael Jordan's one of those people. <laughs> so make fun of him. Kim John's another one. Like, that's the level of hatred. Like, I've done jokes about a lot of people, and there's always, like, pushback. Like, I, I'm always amazed. I did a joke about Michael Caine once, and I got pushback. I'm like, Michael Caine? 
Michael Caine needs defending from you? Why? Why does the guy from Jaws 4 need defending from you? People will do pushback. People do not do any pushback for Michael Jordan at the exact same level that they don't do any pushback for, like, Kim Jong-un or, like, Attila the Hun. Like, it's that level of, like, you can make jokes about Michael Jordan all day and be like, yeah, I've heard stories. If they've heard stories, they're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Should I stop talking about this shit now? <sighs> I'm just trying to entertain you. Just trying to give you a little bit more. When I don't do as much stuff at the beginning of a podcast, I, there's always comments that I need to do more just talking at the start of a podcast. But I'm very okay with not. <laughs> like, if you guys just want me to move right along, along with it, let's do it. If you guys want to get quick quotes ready, I'm okay with that, too. I'm just really grateful for you all. Every day is bleeding into the same. There's no new news. I've I've actually super 1,000% cut back on news. I've got no real personal updates whatsoever because I led an extremely boring month. I didn't eat pizza. I didn't go out. I didn't get beer. I didn't do anything really in the month of April besides some depression writing. That's it. I had a depressive episode that can't really shock or surprise anybody. Half of you are probably in one now to the point that you can barely register that I said it. Uh, I had a depressive episode, but like it wasn't bad or scary or anything. I just kept getting out of bed. I just knew I was like in no mood to be around other people, so I wasn't. And that was pretty much that. Um, and, and I mean, that's just about it. I had to like really sit down and remember that, uh, that the AC was installed a fucking week ago. Like time has started to become much. I've always been alone. I've always been a loner. I've always been by myself. And as such... I didn't really think that time would change all that much. But I've come to realize that I regulate my time based on what other people are doing and, and connections that I have with others. And boy, it's weird. Um, I've, I've talked about this before. One, one group that I like hanging out with are cam girls or women who do shifts on cam sites. And I like when they're attracted to me and they're interested in me because we understand one another. We get, like, how weird it is to be sexy for pay, but then to just be also a normal person who wants to be sexy and how those sexinesses are not really intertwined. And it's a whole thing. And what I've come to realize is that, like, <laughs> these, these, you know, women are in a total, total fucking whirl right now. Just an absolute whirlpool. Because the clients are all fucked up, and, like, their schedules are all fucked up, and they're getting all aggressive. And I, I want to take this back to, I'm so lucky. Because all of the cam girls that I know 
are having guys pop out of the woodwork who are all like, I know you don't do this, but... Or using much more harsh and negative language than they normally would. Or now they're not regular and they're being emotional and erratic. Or... Like, it's starting to become the their new normal for them that they don't know what's going to come through their little online portals. Because whatever it sounds like being a cam girl, you are in some degree in control. Like, you have to react, obviously, to the skeezy dudes, no doubt. But you have control over how you react and how you present and what you do and how you offer and that sort of thing. And... As things keep getting less and less stable, as there's more and more disruption, the clientele for them is getting restless. People are, I think, legitimately forgetting how to express things in just a way that is meaningful. Um... And so what that's leading towards, my opinion, what I'm seeing is, is that there's just a lot of really, like, intense communication. And so that's what I think is happening. So there's just a lot of the positive stuff right now is also way too intense for my liking. Not towards me, but just in the internet in general. Like, someone will post a picture of a fucking cat taking a nap, and then, like, the top comment will be like, Thank you so much. I haven't smiled in seven days. I haven't laughed all month. I haven't felt any joy in my life since the beginning of this year. This cat picture and you posting it is legitimately the best thing that has happened to me all year long. Without this, I don't know if I would have made it through the day. Like, it's legitimately getting nuts. I'm starting to get DMs that are just all like, thank you so much for everything that you make. I've never actually written you before, but I just needed to tell you now that because I feel like you're... It's like, it's like okay, wow, wow, wow. All right. Ooh. Hey, you're at an eight. I need you to come down to a six. Uh, and I think that it's just legitimately a, a matter of socialization is a constant rechecking of yourself against others at the end of the day and that check is gone baby that check is gone and so whatever intense feelings people are having are 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 becoming the new more normalized and that's for the people who are still interacting with other a lot of people are withdrawing right now and withdrawing is a totally understandable uh, survival mechanism. It, it, it maintains your energy levels, yada, yada, yada. So the people who withdraw and who take a step back are now, especially if they're trying not to, to anchor themselves to other people's intense feelings. Unfortunately, if you do that, if you're not talking to anybody, if you're in your own space, your hamster wheel makes you trick yourself into thinking that everything you're thinking is along the same line, the same trend line. But you experience more and less intense emotions and thoughts all the time, and you well go along those trajectories. You well eventually lead that way. And so when you talk to somebody at the end of the day, of course, uh, at the end of the day, or, or, or when you eventually talk to somebody, y you can think that you're talking in a fairly 
even-killed way, but the other person can perceive you as quite up or quite down because your baseline's so off. There's so much of that kind of thing happening. Now, the other thing that I want to say, since I took a little bit of time off and that I got my depressive episode and I kind of got my funk out of it, uh, since I did kind of see this coming, maybe I'm ahead of the curve adjustment-wise. I don't know, because maybe I'm not, and maybe I'm just going to fall into another huge depressive episode. Um, but I don't know. I don't think so. And I just want to say that maybe, because I did see this coming a little bit earlier than most people and tried to warn others and got depressed about that, that maybe I'm a little bit ahead of others on the whole where are we as like a human species? I know that sounds a little arrogant, but come along with me because I was just making jokes about Chris Pratt's face and internet comments. So for real and for true, I've kind of watched a wave of denial seep in to other people's consciousness. There was a lot of denial at first. Just a lot of denial. I don't know how else to say it. Somebody would say a number, and people would go, like that means anything. And that's denial. That's denial. Whenever I see that, I go, that's denial. I don't know what else to do or call that. When a scientist that I know you don't know better than says a number and you go, you're in denial. You don't, you don't even want to accept the information that you're getting. That's how I perceive it. And that's pretty much how the world was reacting in January. It was really hard for me. January and February were really hard for me. Because in January, all this information was coming out saying that we were going to head to this world, unless we did something, this world that we're in right now. And people are like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? No, those numbers don't mean anything. Look, look, those numbers don't mean anything, because I said so. And it wouldn't be based on anything. Just total denial, just total, mm, I don't want to think about it. And as that wave started to kind of succumb in February... And people started to make jokes and sarcasm and, like, kind of deflect. That became apparent to me, too. And what really, I think, crystallized for me in April is that, I'm really sorry for this a little bit, uh, is that there's still tons of denial out there. Just tons. And a shocking amount of denial out there. It's not happening, it's not real, it's 5G towers, uh, it's all going to be over, it's already really over, 20% of the population already has it. This is all denial. This is all denial. Collective, individual, I don't know, perhaps denial is not the right psychosomatic term. This is all not accepting the reality of the world that we're in or was heading towards, right? Oh, I wish it was just Americans. <laughs> we're we're really bad, but no, I this is this is this is a global discussion, unfortunately. Um, what I'm trying to say is, that's the bad. That's the bad, and the bad's happened. I think I think I think that's just about it. 
So here's the good from from somebody who's I think maybe been all the way through it and is like has had his freak out and gotten to the other side and is no longer afraid of helicopters or guns or food riots or any of the rest. I'm just not. Uh, I've made it to the other side. What I see now is that even though tons and tons and tons of people are going to be in denial throughout this whole fucking process, there's just no yanking them out of it. And even though this is probably going to go on for a lot longer than a lot of people are comfortable with, to the point that talking about how long it's going to go on is meaningless. Talking about how long this is going to happen, how long I think this is going to go on, is meaningless. Because the, the amount of time that is can't really be comprehended from where we're sitting. Because if you thought the last 30 days both went by real quick and also lasted forever, then saying the next X amount of days is nonsense. You can't nod your head and agree with everything I've said about people being ornery and like time passing and being weird and then go, okay, now give me the number. The number's meaningless. If you agree with everything I've said up until now, then the number of how long until it's over is meaningless. But it is a while. It ain't ending anytime soon. We're not decamping anytime soon. That's the important thing to consider. So while we're in this not decamping holding pattern with a lot of people who just refuse to accept that we're in one, here's the truly great news that I'm seeing as I'm coming out of my own nonsense, my own mental illness and frustration. People really seem to be getting that they are going to have to be making the choices that are going to solve this. And I don't know if I've ever really seen that in my life. I've seen throughout my life people organizing to say, we've got to come together to collectively solve this, and that's great. But what I'm seeing is constantly depressing as it is, frustrating as it is, day after day people going, well, if this is the world, and people aren't going to accept that this is the world, then this is what I can do in it. And that's that stinks, because there are better ways. It does stink. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. It sucks. There is a better way. There were many better ways. There were so many better ways to not get here. But we are here, and this is the situation that we're in. And since a lot of people seem to just not willing to accept it, I'm seeing a really great thing. It really is great. Where all around, all over, people are just 100% day in, day out, asking themselves, what is my role in this? What can I do? What can I offer? What is up next? There is no solution. There's no solution that anybody can offer. Nobody can even understand the problem. No human mind is capable of understanding the problem that we have right now. It's too big. So, with how frustrating or crazy that is, then a lot of egos go to conspiracy theories or it's not happening, or denial, or depression, or, or, or. But every day now, every day, I'm seeing more and more people going, okay, I can't fix this. I can't solve this. I can't change this. And I don't even know when it's going to end. What can I do? What can I do anyway? 
not to fix it, not to solve it. What can I do today? What, what's going to happen today in my neighborhood, in my house, in my online presence? This is where we're at, and it will end. What can I do? And that's what I wanted to relate to all of you. That's what you have control over, what you can do. If you think this is never going to end, it is. If you think this is going to go on forever, it's not. If you think that things can't get better from here, they will. They are and they will. I promise all of it. However, I do want to give you the positive mindset of it's okay not to fix it. It's okay not to have control over all of this. It's okay not to be forward-looking in the way that we are typically programmed to be. I think it's really wonderful. I think it's a really good mindset. I think it's very healthy. And I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to... Every time you feel frustrated about what's next or what are we going to do or how are we going to get out of this, to embrace the mindset of we're all stuck here. What can I do? What can I do here? What can I do here? And maybe if I can follow my own advice, I'll actually make some fucking work this month. Okay, with that, I should probably get on with the fucking show, don't you think? Yes? Maybe? <clears throat> okay. Everybody's so super depressed and crying now? Oh, man. What a show. I'm, I'm going to have to come out with, like, more stuff that's just, like, funny and cute. But there's none. All I've got is, like, cat pics. What kind of fun joke should somebody write right now? <laughs> yeah, not my cat, though. She's not very cute right now. My cat is hot. My cat's hot and cranky. Turned off the AC for you guys. Hot, cranky, and I threw her out the room. I'm very grateful for you. Whoever you are, however you are hearing this, I'm very grateful for you. I'll be more entertaining soon. See, see how I make it all about me? My ego. I truly don't want to put on a show unless I can put on a good one. It's just how I am. I don't get it. <laughs> I wish I could change it. Do you know how much I wish I could just, like, quit one show, like, drink a monster, and then just start another one? <laughs> just be one of those guys? <laughs> or just, like, have the, just have the wherewithal to just press the button and just stream ten hours a day every day and, like, scream? <sighs> I know the grass is always greener, but that grass is so fucking green, y'all. Fucking emeraldic. God.
damn. Tell me that grass isn't actually green. It looks so green. <laughs> Sometimes, if you move carefully through the forest, breathing like one of the old stories who could cross a shimmering bed of dry leaves without a sound, you come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests. Conceived out of nowhere, but in this place, beginning to lead everywhere. Request to stop what you are doing now, and to stop what you are becoming while you do it. Questions that can make or unmake a life. Questions that have patiently waited for you. Questions that have no right to go away. Sometimes by David White. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, when you want to smile and you have to sigh, when your care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with all its twists and turns. Every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure comes about when he might have won and had stuck it out. Don't give it up, though. The pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of clouds of doubt. And you can never tell just how close you are. It may be near when it seems far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. Don't Quit by John Greenleaf Whittier If hate is what made you, how does that replace it with love? You learn sometimes, despite being built of jealous commands, you choose a different path than your blood demands. And when no one aids you, you build your own legs. You learned how to be needed instead of the easiness of wanted. And when the burning inside your chest claws insults you as forgotten, hideous, unloved every single night, you learn how to create iron, then a sword, and challenge those demons to a fight. Lessons from Hypatius by Nikita Gill Soul, heart, and body we thus singly name. We are not in love divisibly and distinct, but each of us inseparably linked. One is not honor and the other shame, but burn as closely infused as fuel heat 
and flame. They do not love who give the body and keep the heart ungiven, nor yield the soul and guard the body. Love doth give the whole its range, being high as heaven, as ocean deep, wide as the realms of air, or planets curving sweep. Love's Trinity, Alfred Austin. And in life's noisiest hour, the whispers still the ceaseless love of thee, the heart's self-solace and soliloquy. You mold my hopes and fashion me within, and to the leading love-throb in the heart, throw all the being through all the pulses beat. You lie in all my many thoughts, like light, like the fair light of dawn, or summer eve on rippling stream, or cloud-reflected lake. And looking to the heaven that bends above you, how oft I bless the lot that made me love you. Love by Samuel Taylor Coleridge Hmm. I think that man just compared you to a whole lot of light. Oh, goodness. I thought we had more poems. All right, last poem. <clears throat> Get those quick quotes ready. Always, for the first time. Hardly do I know you by sight. You return at some hour of the night to a house at the angle to my window. A wholly imaginary house. It is there, from the one second to the next, the invalid darkness I anticipate once more, the fascinating rift occurring. The one and only rift. In the facade and in my heart, in closer I come to you, in reality the more the key sings at the door to the unknown room, when you appear alone before me. At first you coalesce entirely with the brightness, the elusive angle of the curtain. It's a field of jasmine I gaze upon at dawn, on a road in the vicinity of grass. With the diagonal slant of its girls picking behind them the dark falling wings of the plants stripped bare. Before them a T-square of dazzling light, the curtain invisibly raised. In a frenzy, all the flowers swarm back in. It is you at grips, top hour, long, never dim, until sleep. You, as though you could be. You idleness brings tears to my eyes. A swarm of interpretation surrounds each of your gestures. It's a honeydew hunt. There are rocking chairs on a deck. There are branches that may well scratch you in the forest. There are shop windows in the Rue Notre-Dame la Lotte. Two lovely crossed legs caught in long stocking. Flaring out in the center 
of a great white clover. There is a silken ladder rolled out over the ivy. There is my leaning over the precipice of your presence and your absence in hopeless fusion. My finding the secret and of loving you always for the first time. Always for the first time, Andre Breton. All right, we've got a couple of quick quotes from girls who came out live. If you want me to say something for you live, just come on out to a live show. The next one will be Friday, 10 Eastern. Let's knock them all out. We'll have five, five live shows in May. I'm feeling stronger. I'm feeling better. Please don't let the, like, the slower pace of this show stop it. If you want a faster, like, giddier Daddy Jack, come on fucking out to a show. Come on out to the server. I love seeing you girls, you ladies coming out. It means so much to me. All right. It's time for quick quotes. <clears throat> you did such a good job, Sierra. I'm proud of you. A honeydew hunt. You're doing so well, darling. Get out of bed, little one. I know you can do it. You can, and will take, baby girl. Now, bend over. You make Daddy very happy. You're doing such a good job, and I'm so proud of my girls. Keep pushing, Chastity. You've got this. Baby, come here. And open that delectable pussy for daddy. Keep at it. You've got this, Amy. Just a couple more days and it'll be so much better. Keep going, Ashley. Things will get better. Daddy is so proud of you, little one. You did such a good job today. I'm always so proud of you, my candy girl. You're going to be okay. Keep going. One day at a time. Okay, guys, that is Quick Quotes, and that is the first hour of the show. If you do want to support me or you just have the extra money because you're not going through the apocalypse, there is a tip jar open both here and at the link if you're listening to this on the podcast later on. Again, it means the world to me if you do just come on out. Say hello. All the monetary support is appreciated, however. The requests, everything, the show, the uh, the spectacle, the the uh, the things that I read, all of it, all of it is because of you guys, and thank you. All right, we've got a couple of love letters here. <clears throat> Last night was perfection. 
It was hell leaving you today. God, how I adore you and want you. You can't know how much I exult in my surrender. I'm so proud of you, my sweet. I revel in your beauty from your form and feature. You ask me point blank why I love you. It's because I fought so hard to win you. I love you because you never capitulate, you wonderful intelligence, for your literary aspirations. And I'm in love with you because you have an air of doubting nothing. I love you in what is also in me. Imagination, the gift for languages, taste, intuition, and a host of other things. I love you, Vita, because I have seen your soul. All today I was incoherent. I tell you there was a barbaric splendor about you that conquered not only me, but everyone who saw you. You are made to conquer, not be conquered. You could have been, you could have had the world at your feet. Oh, I miss you so. I love belonging to you. I glory in it. You alone have bent me to your will. You shattered my self-possession, robbed me of my mystery, made me yours. I never thought I would or could love like this. You and I were born two thousand years too late, or two thousand years too soon. My days are consumed by this impotent longing for you and my nights are riddled with insufferable dreams. I want you. I want you hungrily, frenziedly, passionately. I tried so hard to imagine your lips on mine. I am starving for you. Not only the physical you, but the fellowship, your sympathy, the innumerable points that we view and share. I can't exist without you. You are my affinity, my twin spirit. We complete each other. God knows we have waited so long. I have wanted to go away with you. I have wanted in a well and damn the world and damn the consequences. Anyone had better look out for themselves or dares to become an obstacle in my path. Nothing and no one in this world could kill the love I have of you. I have given you my body time after time to treat as you pleased, to tear into pieces, and such has been your will. There isn't a recess in my brain which you haven't penetrated. I've clung to you and caressed you and slept with you. You are my lover, and I am your mistress. And the kingdoms of empires and governments have tottered and succumbed before me now that I and that mighty combination, the most powerful in the world. Be wicked, be brave, be drunk, be reckless, be dissolute, be a suffragette, be anything you like, but for pity's sake, live fully. Live passionately, live disastrously if necessary, live the gamut of human experiences, build, destroy, build up again, cast aside the drab garments of respectability and convention, my beautiful bird of paradise, they become you not. Lead the life nature intended you to lead. Love Letter from Vita Sackville West to Violet Keppel.
I feel like that was from Violet to Vita, yes? Or did I have that backwards? Anyway, very powerful. I assume that the author was male, because I would write that. I would write that about you. I've written that about exes. I've written about how they've destroyed me and how they're powerful and how they're like, how they're like, need to, need to drink that in. I've written that before. And so I assumed until we got like, I don't know, two thirds, I was like, oh, this is written by a woman. I'm just a girly boy. <laughs> I once dated a woman who I was naked with because we just had the sex because I totally had the sex and I'm not a virgin. And she was looking at me and I just thought that she was gorgeous, just gorgeous in that moment. Like obviously I did before because we were naked together in bed. That's how we got there. But I was just looking at her in that moment and I just thought she's just she just looks gorgeous. And I said, I don't know exactly what I said, but I said something about the way that the light was hitting her and that she was immutable and that she was incredibly potent. And she looked over at me, and I mean, just gorgeous, naked, confident, everything. And she said something like, If you keep talking all like a fag, I'm just not going to be interested in you. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Was not a long relationship. All right. <sighs> probably should have probably should have just began the show with that instead of interrupting love letters with it, but here we go. Here's another. Here's another. <laughs> Here's another. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a long time. All right. <clears throat> My darling. I don't like it at all. All the chairs are star staring at me in the most frightful way. And there's a lady on the mantelpiece who has taken a great objection to me. And I'm awfully scared. This is no place for a person with a nice, cheerful disposition like me. It looks like those parlors in the novels where they plot things. All night long the train has not been flying over, but going prim de prim de prim the fields of the snow, vast plains of snow, great bare countries covered with snow. Walt Whitman could have written them up fine. All over this moon shining, and across the window always a golden shower of sparks from the locomotive. It was quite worth seeing, and I lay there looking out at all, thinking of you, of you, of you, dearest, sweet, best, darling. The city is covered in snow, and little sleighs rush madly about. All things go in sliders and course. I send you many little missives along the way. And I hope they arrive. I must go now and wash the suit off and have my breakfast. Give my love to dear, dear number 11 and that musty little dear home number 6 and all my dear self-heart overflowing with just the most unoriginal, old-fashionedest sort of love. Write to me and tell me. 
I go now to splash. Your Isadora. Love letter from Isadora Duncan, the creator of Modern Dance, to theater designer Gordon Craig. Everyone who terrifies you is 65% water. And everyone you love is made of stardust. And I know sometimes you cannot even breathe deeply, and that the night sky is no home, and you have cried yourself to sleep enough times that you are down to your last 2%. But nothing is infinite. Not even loss. You are made of the sea and the stars. And one day, you are going to find yourself again. Uh, apologies, I thought that was a love letter, uh, but that was a poem by Finn Butler. Finn Butler. I thought I had an additional poem. I put the butler in the middle. One last love letter. Felice, I am now going to ask you a favor which sounds quite crazy and which I should regret as such were I the one to receive the letter. It is also the very greatest test that even the kindest person could be put to. Well, this is it. Write to me only once a week, so that your letter arrives on Sunday. For I cannot endure all your daily letters. I am incapable of enduring them. For instance, I answer one of your letters, and then lie in bed in apparent calm. But my heart beats through my entire body, and it is conscious only of you. I belong to you. There really is no other way of expressing it, and that is not strong enough, but for this very reason, I don't want to know what you are wearing. It confuses me so much that I cannot deal with life, and that's why I don't want to know that you are fond of me. If I did, how could I, fool that I am? go on sitting in my office or here at home instead of leaping onto a train with my eyes shut and opening them only when I'm with you. Oh, there is a sad, sad reason for not doing so. To make it short. My health is only just good enough for myself alone, not good enough for marriage, let alone fatherhood. Yet, when I read your letter, I feel I could overlook even what cannot possibly be overlooked. If only I had your answer now, and how horribly I torment you, and how I compel you in the stilliness, in the stillness, to read this letter, as nasty a letter has ever been laying on your desk. Honestly, it strikes me that I pray like a specter on your felicitous name. 
If only I had mailed Saturday's letter in which I implored you to never write me again, in which I gave a similar promise. Oh, God, what prevented me from sending that letter? All would be well. But it is a peaceful solution. Is it possible now? Would it help if we wrote to each other only once a week? No. If my suffering could be cured by such means, it would not be serious. And already I foresee that I shan't be able to endure even the Sunday letters. And so, to compensate for Saturday's lost opportunity, I ask you with what energy remains at the end of this letter. If we value our lives, let us abandon it all. Did I think of signing myself yours? No. Nothing could be more false. No, I am forever fettered to myself. That's what I am. And that's what I must try and live with. Signed, Franz. Love Letter from Franz Kafka to Felice. Boy, you knew it was a depressed fuck all the way through, and then you got the confirmation at the end. <laughs> After that, who's super turned on? Pussy's ringing like fucking slot machines. We made it down the short aisle. Standing in front of the cockpit door, she gave three quick knocks. Knocks. Whoops. A second later, a sandy-haired young man with thick glasses and a space between his front teeth poked his head out. Oh, dear. I hated to admit that my shallow southern heart sank, but I politely pulled my grin a little wider, reminding myself what the sea in secret stood for. If my fantasy wan wasn't compelling, I didn't have to go through with the fantasy. Is this our lovely visitor? He asked with a lisp. Oh, dear. Yes, the flight attendant said. Miss Daphne Mason, this is our multi-talented First Officer Friar. Miss Mason is keen to see what goes on in here. It might help her with her fear of flying. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to do a list the whole time, sorry. Ah, yes, dispel with the mystery and the fear disperses. That's Captain Nathan's specialty. He can show you around while I stretch my legs. Three's a crowd. Good luck. After mangling all those S's, First Officer Fryer made a beeline to the back of the plane. Out the window in front of the dark sky below, nothing but black water. The high whine of the engine's master scream in my own head as my legs now turn to cement. Eileen nudged me back through the narrow doorway. 
I'll be back in a little while. She said, looking at her watch. Enjoy your flying lesson. She shut the door behind her. The pilot sat silhouetted in the window. The only thing I could see above the seat was the back of his head. He wasn't wearing a jacket, only his white shirt. How the fuck can you tell that from the back of someone's fucking head? <laughs> the muscles on his arms apparent beneath the sleeves as he flicked a number of switches and the number of the left-right panel from him. Thankfully, the white noise drowned out my pounding heart. Gosh, I'm slipping up. <clears throat> Be with you in a moment. Daphne. I, I, her name's not Daphne, but I don't know how to say this fucking name. So I'm going to go with Daphne. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm fucking up all of a sudden. <sighs> okay. I just want to make sure autopilot's running smoothly. A robot takes over for most of the flight from now on. A very smart one. There it was. <laughs> that accent again. The man from security. The man with the sexy British accent. The air left my chest, and the pressure squeezed my lungs, feeling tantalized. I feel like we're in the middle of a fucking... <laughs> Are we in the middle of a novella? I'm so confused. The perspective, we've met this guy before, we know him, what the fuck is happening? We're on a plane with three people? <laughs> Why is everyone leaving the cockpit? What the fuck is going on in this story? All right, <clears throat> let's hopefully get to some dick. Just like you girls on a Saturday night, I'm just looking for dick to balance me. All right. I slapped both hands on the curved wall of the cockpit to steady myself as the plane rose and straightened. That is not standard flight safety, I guarantee you. The pilot faced a wall of lights and levers that seemed to blink and shift on their own. As opposed to him playing him like a fucking mad DJ? Then he finally turned his chair around. Aviators off! Brown eyes on me. I gasped. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're on automatic. But we're not going to be alone in here for long. So I apologize ahead of time for the fruit of nature of our interlude. He said, loosening the top buttons of his uniform. But I know. <laughs> but I do need to know before we continue. With our tutorial and our safety flight, do you accept the step, Miss Mason? I couldn't have believed it. Here? Now? Yes, here now. Trust me when I say I can be here for you with the fear of flying. And a fear of other things, too. I suspect. <laughs> he said, leaning back to plush leather in the pilot seat, taking me from bottom to top. I've never been in an airplane before. I muttered, stalling. <laughs> I understand that, he said. Steepling his fingers? But you're doing a fine job for your first time. Standing four feet from a complicated instrument panel that the pilot was no longer facing. I watched dark clouds whip by the nose of the plane through the high, narrow windows. <laughs> the high, narrow windows of the cockpit! The high, narrow windows of the cockpit!
<laughs> the dark clouds I was gonna let pass. I was gonna let the dark... I was gonna let the fact that this guy is flying us directly through storm fucking clouds with his autopilot not even looking. I was gonna let that pass. But now that I know that he's not in a real proper cockpit, but he's just got the standard fucking, like, bathroom windows that the rest of us have, now I'm actually really fucking worried for this goddamn flight. I am not afraid of flying, and suddenly I've become it. <sighs> Are we safe in here? Very safe, he said. Safer than driving. Safer than almost any activity. You can do hundreds of miles an hour high in the air. What What if there's turbulence? I asked, just as we hit a little bump. I yelped. My arms flew up to grasp the ceiling. He took it as a cue to gesture me over to him. Here we go. I slowly, carefully closed the gaps. They're not in a real plane. I just figured it out. They're not in a real plane. They're not in a real plane. I just figured it out. They're not in a real plane. This is like a soundstage or something. This is like a fake plane that you use to get people over flying and he fucks them on it. They're not on a real plane. This is a fake plane. I figured it out. I guarantee you. Here we go. Close the gaps between us and over his shoulders got a better view of the world before me. It was dusk, but light, uh oh. It was dusk, but light poked through the clouds, illuminating little towns and villages nestled at the foot of the mountain range? They looked like strand of jewels dropped from a giant height. It was beautiful, but still I felt gut-punched and queasy. Levers and buttons continued to move in a ghostly way all around us. Turbulence is just air pockets. I don't know why he can't keep his accent. Sorry. <laughs> the plane ride will go through it, and I'm right about... I stood above him now, his head level with my breasts. What? How short are you? <laughs> Do you accept this stamp? <laughs> <laughs> the physicality of this fucking I know it shouldn't but the cockpit and just like just just the just the number of things that have happened in this cockpit physically whew this is a story thank you to whoever suggested this one <laughs> do you accept this step handsome face kind eyes great smell Manly hands, but the clencher, truly, was his beautifully tailored shirt. Terribly shallow, I know. Yes, I accept. Then, may I help you off with your knickers? I almost laughed out loud at the old-fashioned British word for panties. I was wearing a pencil skirt and pumps, and a bottom-up pink Angora sweater. The low ponytail completed my 50s housewife on an errand look. It couldn't be helped. Planning my outfits always calmed me, and today I needed to be calm. <laughs> Tell me more about how safe I am, I begged. As his forehands gently undid the back of my skirt, letting it drop to the floor. Well, Daphne! He said, inching my panties, or knickers, down. Takeoff is the hardest part, 
So much in I'll Okay. No. Absolutely not. I tried. <laughs> Takeoff is not the hardest part. I refuse to accept that. I refuse to accept that the finals in pilot school are takeoffs. I'm so mad. I'm so mad, just as a writer, just as a creative. This somebody tries to get a narrative going. That this motherfucker has actually got the audacity to say that. Now, before I was holding back my laughter when she said, please tell me I'm going to be okay, because a guy saying knickers was touching her, and she was afraid that she might get killed by a serial killer. But now, I'm really, really, really objecting to the fact that he's all like, no, no, once you get past the takeoff, you're guaranteed. It's all so smooth. You heard about the 737 Maxes and all the problems they had with their takeoffs, right? That's why those things are all grounded. Because of how hard it is to take off in a plane. That's the hard part. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow, that threw me. Wow, that really pissed me off. <clears throat> Now, in the middle part of the flight, he said, leaning forward to nuzzle my soft line of pubic hair, kissing it. That's the easiest, sweetest part of the ride. Still, you never want to get complacent. <laughs> Sometimes it's deceptively easy. You still need to be careful to watch for subtle signs. <laughs> I stood over him, my legs trembling. He reached back to undo my pink satin bra, slide it forward and drop it. Sitting there naked for a second, I forgot the plane was flying on its own. It was black through the window. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we were flying over mountains or water. <laughs> but I closed my eyes. If I didn't see it, it didn't matter. I placed my hands on the ceiling again, <laughs> pressing my body forward into him. He was so at ease, so in command, as he gently urged my legs farther apart, reaching up to pinch and circle my nipples like I was in an instrument panel he knew exactly how to operate. How does the autopilot know what it's doing? <laughs> so deeply aroused by his thumbs, now I was really parting my cleft. I thought my knees would give. Here we go. Here we go. I'm not going to like this fucking answer. I'm just preparing myself. Eyes closed. Preparing. Here we go. <clears throat> it listens to me. <laughs> it listens to me. <laughs> I tell it what to do. It follows my instructions. <laughs> he sent me forward to kiss my clit. Now sent it between his thumbs. <laughs> ah! That fucking sentence. 
Holy shit! Wow! That is not- I've never done that. Is that a move? Is that a move? You- Eight, eight on the thighs, two on the clit? Is that a move? The tarantula? <laughs> the spider. Oh, baby, I'm gonna spider you so good. You're gonna come so good for my spider tonight. <laughs> fingers on the thighs, two fingers on the clit. Yeah! Just looking right in your eyes. Spider. Spider. Chopstick. I I I I talk about chopsticking chopsticking the clit occasionally. I do, and I get fl I get a lot of flack for that. I get a lot of flack for that, and I don't blame you. If I had a clit, I don't know if I'd prefer if a man used that verbiage, chopsticking my clit. But chopsticking a clit with two with two thumbs. That's something, baby. That's something. That's a move. That's a move. How well do I have to please you before you let me double thumb your clit? Like, as just like an experiment. <laughs> like, how many orgasms have you already had to have before you're willing to let me just fumble around your clip with both of those. <clears throat> the answer is, all the ones you're gonna get from me, right? Because then you're done. Because then you're done wanting them from me. <laughs> that's, the, that's the final possible orgasm. Oh, is imagining me just thumbing your fucking... Oh, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to find a way to make it in any way work. And the best way I can think of to thumb a clit is if you have the fingers in reverse. If you have... If you try and thumb it so that the thumbs are on the same side as the hand, that's, that's awful. But if you turn the thumbs in... So that the hands aren't the the thumbs are on the opposite the thumbs are crossing at the base, right? The thumbs are crossing at the base, and then they can then they can slide up and down. You can pinch you can pinch this way because if you just take your thumbs in at the side, if you do the straight tarantula, see that's why the spider that's why there's two names spider and tarantula because the spiders when you go in with the fingers from the outside. Yeah, and then the tarantulas when you cross the thumbs. Oh, bitch, I'm gonna tarantula you so fucking good tonight. Bitch, I'm gonna tarantula you so fucking good tonight. Oh! I'm gonna pick your clit up. I'm gonna thumb your clit so good, I'm gonna pick it up with my thumbs. <coughs> I've laughed so hard I've given myself a little bit of sinus. <laughs> If you, if, I have very powerful thumbs. Alright? 
If I grab your clit with both of my thumbs, I might take it with me. That might be my clit now. I have spent the last three minutes trying to jerk off a clit with my thumbs. That is true. That is a true statement. <laughs> there is no way to do that. There is no way to make that appealing. There is no way to make the double thumb on the clit a fun and enjoyable exercise. I have never heard of such... I read so much fucking porn. I get so many messages. This is like... There was a congressman back in the 2000s who got in trouble for sexting a bunch of women, Anthony Weiner. And at one point, he talked about fucking a woman from behind, and he told her, Hey, girl, I'm gonna fuck you from behind so good, your tits are gonna hit your face. And I just remember that fucking line, because that's not how... Dirty talk works. That's not how doggy style works. That's not how tits work. <laughs> but here's what here's what here's what didn't get reported. She was into it. He sent to her, I'm going to fuck you from behind. I'm going to make your tits hit your face. And she's like, oh, fuck my daddy. <laughs> so you don't have to be, you don't have to be good at sexy talk. You just have to be confident because that's confidence. I'm going to fuck you so good. I'm going to hit you with your own tits. And then maybe the woman on the other end will be all like, maybe he's going to fuck me so good. He hits me with my own tits. Shit. Fuck. No. All right. I'm going to thumb your clit. I'm going to get both of my thumbs on your clit. It's going to feel amazing. You've never felt anything so good. Both of my thumbs on your clit. When I put both of my amazing thumbs on your clit. <laughs> You'll be in ecstasy. Think about how good it feels when just one thumb is on your clit. <laughs> this is two of them. It's going to be twice as good. Is this really my fucking job? <laughs> it's just to get lost thinking about double-thumbing clits for five consecutive minutes. I'm still trying to make it happen. I'm still trying to figure out a way to make this pleasurable for you, not using anything else. There's nothing. I've got nothing. This is like the ultimate test. I must find a virgin. And I must double-thumb her clit. <laughs> this is now my mission in life. Before she has had any other touch, I will find her. 
and I will double thumb her clit into orgasm, and then I will make her ask other men to do the same, and their faces and the whore that they display shall ring into eternity. <clears throat> All right, I got to finish this fucking story. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> I wasn't sure if we were flying over mounds or water, but I closed my eyes. If I couldn't see it, it didn't matter. I put my hands on the ceiling again, pressed my body forward into him. He was so at ease, so in command, as he gently urged my legs further apart, reaching up to pinch and circle my nipples like I was an instrument panel he knew exactly how to operate. How does the autopilot know what it's doing? I asked, so deeply aroused by him and his thumbs, now expertly parting my cleft, I thought my knees would give. It listens to me. I tell it what I want it to do, and it follows my instructions, he said, leaning forward to kiss my clit, now centered between his thumbs. Mm, you taste so good, my darling, he murmured, his fingers now joining his mouth, slowly gliding in and out, agonizing me. I felt every knuckle against my most tender parts, prodding my clit forward as his mouth fully encircled me. I grabbed his head as it moved beneath me. Then I felt that rush, fast and hot, as the mounting energy and his urgent tongue flushed and flicked, his fingers darting in and out as all I could do was shut my eyes and arch my back, dying and shuddering, as I exploded with a new kind of pleasure, moaning into the ceiling, his tongue lapping relentlessly at me, my hand over my mouth to muffle my cries. That's the story. You put up with all that bullshit for that. For that. You put up with all that bullshit for an Englishman to give your clit a little flicky flick. All of that bullshit, all of that, just for that. That's it. That's all you got. Much like real life, you got dressed, you put on a nice outfit, you had to face down a fear. You had to go into a fucking situation with a man. And then he gives you just a little... And that's up! That's why daddy does so well. We got one more story that somebody put out here, but guys, I think I'm going to have to end it there, and we are 100% going to do the story next week, along with everything else that you guys request. Thank you very, very much for coming out tonight. One more time for the tip jar, just in case you did have the time of your life. Know that I appreciate you. Know that I appreciate these shows. Know that I'll try and come up with a better series of jokes for the beginning of next week. I appreciate each and everybody who came out, especially the new girls, the first-timers, and all the rest. Appreciate you very, very much. Going to try and be on track and going as hard as I can all month long. Thank you for all your support. Thank you to Ali. Thank you to Serena. Thank you to Aria. Thank you to everybody who helps the show move right along. 
There'll be music down below in the music lounge if you want to play some tunes for me. I'll be listening for the next couple of hours. Thank you again to everybody. Come on down. It's a great time, and I'll see you all very soon. If not, see you next week. <clears throat> Fingers crossed, right? I'm going to really try and be productive this May. Send me that encouragement. Send me that support. Let's make it happen. I believe in you. I support you. You can make it through this month.